week two of this series called Address the Mess. And, and I want to share a little bit of a story this morning to kind of kick things off. Because when I first started off, before I was the lead pastor at Ridgepoint Church, I started off serving in youth ministry. I was a youth pastor uh, for almost 15 years. And one of the things that I loved about youth ministry is it gives you a chance to get involved in, in some aspects of cultures that, uh, that other people just simply aren't able to get involved in. Uh, for instance, I got a chance when I first started off at another church in youth ministry to get plugged into a fellowship of Christian athletes group at a, at a particular high school, Pinellas Park High School, and, and it was a pretty active group, and so I'd been going there for a couple of months, and the person who was the sponsor for FCA said, I want to introduce you to one of the football coaches, and I said, that's awesome, I'd love to be able to get to know him, and he's like, well, this guy actually used to play football for the Florida Gators. And I said, even better. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, and, and the cool thing was, was that when they said his name, his name was Stacy Simmons. I said, I remember watching him when I was much, much younger. I think he played cornerback or something for the defense. But I said, I remember his name. I remember watching him. And so I met him, really, really cool guy. And he said, JJ, I'm looking for someone to serve as chaplain of our football team. Would you be willing to do that? And I said, man, I would love to. Now, one of my goals as, as kind of the youth pastor slash chaplain was to, just to let the coach know, we are here for you. So I began the conversation by asking him, what does that look like for you? What do you want that to, to look like? And he said, man, I'd love if you'd come and do a pregame meal before each of our uh, games home and away. But then also to give a little bit of kind of a challenge to the team. So you serve the meal and then give the challenge. And I said, I can do that. Anything else, let me know. And so I ended up getting into doing even some of their videography, filming the football games and stuff. But, but I went to the first game and, and I fed them the meal and I gave them kind of an encouragement uh, challenged them a little bit, and then hanging out beforehand, getting ready to film the game, I was in the locker room, and the coach got them pumped up, gave this big rallying speech, and when it was done, he said, okay, everyone, now take a knee and touch someone, and what he meant by that was that everyone in the crowd was going to assemble together, take a knee, and they're all going to touch the, the shoulder pads of the person in front of them or the person alongside of them, and, and we're going to pray together. Now, he never said the word pray, but he said, take a knee, touch someone, and then he turned to me and said, okay, pastor, you got it. And he asked me to pray over their team. And I said, that's really cool. Now, I remember as a football player, uh, now I'd gone to a Christian school when I was younger, so we had prayer part of every practice and whatnot. So I knew what that meant when he said to take a knee and touch someone. But I remember the camaraderie that took place when you'd have those, those prayer together and, and everyone would kind of kneel and they touch each other's shoulder pads. You felt like there was this, this unity that was taking place because there was camaraderie. There was a shared vision and, and we can't miss this, there was also a shared opponent. So we knew we practiced all week long. We practiced really, really hard getting ready for that particular game. And so when we touched someone before and after the game, we are saying, man, we are together in this. There's camaraderie, there's unity in the shared vision, but there's also the idea that we have a shared opponent. Now, I'm convinced that in football, much like in life, for most of us, there's a desire deep down inside of us for there to be proximity. I'm going to talk a lot today about this word proximity. I believe that for most of us, we have this desire. Now, for some, we say, but you don't understand, or, or, or maybe you're not even aware of this, but at some point, there was some past hurt. And so because of that, I'm very reluctant to let people close to me. I've been hurt, and so because I've been hurt, or maybe it was when I was really, really young, I never had the love that I was looking for. So because of these past hurts, for a lot of us, we keep people at arm's distance because we don't want to get hurt again. But deep inside of us, there's a desire for proximity. 
Deep inside of us, we desire to have people close to us who we can kind of share and confide in and, and be challenged by. Now, those past hurts might have us push those people away, but the truth is, for all of us, or, or mostly all of us, there's a desire deep down inside of us to have proximity. Now, the problem with proximity is this. When I get close to someone, I reveal my flaws. When I get close to someone, see, as long as you're down there and I'm up here on the stage, my flaws aren't as obvious. But the closer that you get, the more you start to realize things like the flaws in my skin or, or the fact that I had everything bagel for breakfast this morning. And so because of that, we like to keep people at arm's length because we don't like to reveal our flaws. But also, because we know that our lives are a mess and we know their life is a mess. And I have enough of a mess in my life right now, I don't have to add their mess to my life. And I get that. And yet I believe that as a follower of Jesus, that's exactly what we're called to do. You see, Chris did a great job last week of launching into the series and talking about this idea that Jesus enters into our messy life to, 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 to kind of clean up the mess of our life. And by doing that, he did two things. The first thing he did was he paved a way for us to have access to the Father to take away our messiness through his death. But the second thing he did, and what we're going to look at this morning, is he also set the tone for this is also how if we're truly going to be people who follow Jesus. You see, a while back we started using this terminology of, of not just being Christians because that word had become somewhat tainted in our culture, but to be genuine Christ followers. And if we're actually going to do that, if we're actually going to follow Christ, it requires of us, of you and me, to enter into the messes of people's lives, even though our lives aren't totally figured out. A lot of times our lives are more figured out than our friends who are struggling without Jesus. And so we say, we want to enter into the mess, even though I know that by entering into the mess, some of the messiness of their life is going to get on me, and I have to be okay with that. Don't miss next week. Next week, we're actually going to talk about the idea of how to get messy without getting stained. It's a big deal. Because normally we, fall, we fail in one of two areas. We either choose not to get involved in someone's life, and we mess up. Or we get involved so much in someone's life that we don't really help them out, but they actually bring us down. We have to be careful not to do either one of those, but to enter into people's mess, to address the mess of their life, and to continue to build into them and to, to help grow them up and help them be discipled in who Jesus is. And here's the thing, that's for every one of us. It's not just for pastors, it's not just for leaders. It's at the moment that we choose to follow Jesus. Today in the first service we celebrate baptism. In the second service we're celebrating a couple of baptisms. It's about a changed life that takes place. And as soon as that happens, if nothing else, we have the power of our story to say, this is who I used to be, this is who I am now. And the change is nothing short of a miracle. So Jesus enters into this, and he says, I want us to be about this, this messy life. I want us to be out, about seeking people out. In fact, I, there needs to be proximity because this is a big deal. Growth is accomplished only where proximity is allowed. Growth is accomplished in our life only where proximity is allowed. Now, for every one of us, we can have a season of growth where we don't have to have people close to us. We can go a short season and say, I can do this myself. I can bring about change. And for a short season, that works. For a short season, in fact, I've seen it before where people kind of get clouded down with too many relationships and they get kind of encumbered by those things. And once they free themselves of certain relationships, 
They say, I'm actually doing better now, and I'm growing, and I'm changing. But those seasons tend to be very short-lived. And growth is only accomplished for the long term, where proximity is allowed. If that's true for us, then it's also true for the other people we come in contact with. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want us to open up to the Gospel of, of Mark. And we're going to look at the story in Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Because we believe the growth is only accomplished where that proximity is allowed. We're going to look at a story where Jesus has, has proximity and what that proximity brings and, and how it even makes this story even that much more powerful. So in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, we see this story where Jesus is on the way of doing one thing and eventually he's going to be interrupted and he does something else. It says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd had gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, or Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And it says about Jesus that Jesus went with Jairus. Proximity brings comfort. It brings assurance. When we're close to people that are going through difficult times, it brings an assurance to them. Now, the truth is that there is a story earlier in Mark's gospel where Jesus, simply by speaking the words, brings healing to somebody else. So when Jairus comes to Jesus, he doesn't necessarily have to have Jesus come with him. He could have said, hey, just, just say the words. My daughter's going to be healed but he knows that when there's someone with me, that it brings assurance. I can't tell you the number of times over the last couple of years that I've had a chance to talk to people going through difficult, difficult times. And I know it's always hard in those situations because if, if we're on the other side, if we're not the one going through that difficult time, we ask this question all the time, how, how can we help? And normally the, the answer to that question is, there's not much you can do, pray. Like, I really would love for you to pray, but there's not much more you can do. And when you're on the other side, you're saying, but I, but I want to help. Can I bring a meal? Can I, can I do something? Because I want to offer assistance. I want to offer encouragement. And having been on the other side of that and been the one who, who lost a parent and been the one whose child was in the hospital, the answer on our end was often, there's not much, just pray for us. But the thing is, when we're around people who are hurting, our Mere presence brings assurance. See, when the football team gathered to pray, there was something powerful about just saying, man, I know that we have each other's back. And in life, we're looking for the same assurance. In life, we're looking for, man, when things are down, I want to know that there are people that are around me that have my back. And it's not necessarily, there's been a lot of times as a pastor that I've gone to a hospital or I've gone to a funeral home and, and there's not a lot of words of comfort I can offer in that moment. And all I can do is simply to be there. To put my arm around and say, I'm, I'm so sorry you're going through this time. To pray for them, to encourage them. There's nothing else on my side that I can do but the, the simple presence, the proximity brings assurance. If you have a friend right now going through a difficult time, and, and, and they're really not sure where to turn. Maybe you don't have the insight to offer them. Maybe their situation is beyond really being able to give advice. And, and so the easy thing is to say, man, their life is a mess, 
and I know that their life is a mess. And so because of that, it's kind of awkward for me to get involved. Like when I'm over here, I don't really know what to do. I feel like I want to do something. There's nothing I can do. And so what a lot of us do is just to avoid the awkwardness, we say, well, we'll come over here and we'll pray for them. And maybe even I'll send them a text. And I'll send them a text and say, hey, I'm praying for you. I read someone this week that tweeted this idea, and they kind of shared this, this, this idea of, you know, saying that we're praying for you really doesn't accomplish a lot if we're not willing to get involved in people's lives. And this guy's a pastor. He's actually a little bit attacked for what he said. But what he was saying is prayer is powerful. It's important. I don't want to be a little prayer. But if we think that we can stand on the other side and just kind of offer this, this prayer bomb, say, I'm going to pray this prayer over here and not get involved in people's lives, then we're not giving them the assurance they're looking for. Meanwhile, if my friend is struggling, and if I've gotten to a spot in my life where we're comfortable kind of opening up to each other and, and talking and sharing, and then we go through that difficult time, then simply pulling them alongside and putting an arm around them and giving them that proximity, that alone is encouraging. Jesus could have said, hey, I'm going to speak the word. Your daughter's going to be healed, and everything's going to be fine. But the whole time Jairus was going to be running to his daughter, he'd be wondering if everything really was fine. So Jesus says, no, okay, let's go. I'm going to go with you. And so Jesus starts to venture with him. But this is where the story gets interesting. Because it's while he's traveling, in verse 24, it says he went with him. And it says a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. The great crowd follows because Jairus was an important person and because the rumors of Jesus' miracles have been spreading. And so because those two things have intersected, a crowd of people has literally thronged around this party as they travel from where they were to Jairus' house to go and see if his daughter is being healed. And so it says this great crowd is thronged around them. And it says there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. That's important. We'll get to that in a little bit. She had suffered much under many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather she grew worse. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said this, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So there's this woman who, because of the, the women issues that she had in her life, she was bleeding. She was bleeding excessively for a 12-year period. Just incredibly amount of discomfort that she had, the amount of pain she had. She had been anemic. She had been weak. But even more important in her culture than all of that, she would have been viewed by the entire world that she lived in as being ceremonially unclean. Because she was unclean, she wasn't allowed to participate in things like religious exercises. She wasn't allowed to go to the temple. She wasn't allowed to be around other people because if she even touched them, they themselves would be ceremonially unclean. And so she wasn't allowed to touch other people. She wasn't allowed to be in any relationship. She wasn't allowed to participate in anything that was religious. And she had to sit outside of the city and she used to have to tell people as they came near her, stay away, for I am unclean. I think about that in our culture today. Now, we don't have the same ceremonial laws. But there are a lot of people today that are broken, that are hurting. They know, man, because of, not because of something that happened to me that was beyond my control, but simply because of choices that I made, the church world would view me as untouchable. 
no one would want to be a part of, 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 of reaching out to me because my life is such a mess. Her, her life, what she's going through physically, is a representative of what many people today are going through spiritually. They think, I've messed up so much, I could never be approachable. So this woman faced a dilemma. She said, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard how powerful that he is. And I've seen all the doctors that I can see, and, and none of them have helped me. If anything, all the doctors have done has made my situation worse. I've lost everything. I've sent all my money seeing all these physicians, and I'm still not better. And I'm weak, and I'm anemic, and, and I'm ostracized, and I'm feeling very, very alone right now. And she said, but I've heard about this guy, Jesus, and I believe that he has power. And she says, if I think, I think that I believe that if I touch even the hem of his garment, that I could be made well. Now, by doing this, she is making Jesus ceremonially unclean. And they're all about to, when Jesus stops at what's taking place, they're all about to bump into each other, and they're all going to be ceremonially unclean because of this woman. But she says, I'm willing to take the risk because I believe that by reaching out to Jesus, I can be healed. And literally, that's all that she wants in her life. She says, I just, this is such a dilemma in my life that I just want to be healed of this disease. All the doctors have tried, they can't. But I believe Jesus can. And so she gains up, she musters up the courage to go and to find where Jesus is and to follow him. And she sees her opportunity because there's a throng of people around him. And she said, maybe in the throng of people, someone won't recognize me or people won't recognize me. And I can just kind of slip into the throng and I could reach up and just touch his garment. And maybe, just maybe, if all this is true, maybe I'll be able to slip in and touch his garment and slip out and everything will be okay. And that's exactly what happens. She comes into the throng. She reaches out. She's able to finally get all the way through everybody. She reaches out. She touches him. And it says immediately she felt differently. Immediately she felt like, man, I've been healed. What I've been longing for, what I've been praying for, what I've been hoping for for the last 12 years. Immediately I feel differently. And now probably the toughest part of this whole thing is about to take place. She says, now because the people know me, if I could just slip away and no one takes note that I was here, then everything is good. Now it's interesting because at this point, everybody else doesn't know what's going on. Everyone else is just thinking Jesus is on his way to heal this very important person's daughter and so we're, we're going with him, and the crowd is probably traveling at a brisk pace. And no one even notices the woman who reaches out because the throng's all around Jesus and just touches him. They think it was just an accident. And for everyone there, it would have been really cool if everything was just clean, just like that. She's healed. No one had to know about it, and her need was met. At least what she thought her need was. That was really her want. Jesus knew she had a much greater need. It says this. Verse 30, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? They're kind of mocking Jesus a little bit because they said, We've been traveling at a brisk pace, and as we're walking, something happened, you stopped. And now everybody's bumped into you. Like there's a whole bunch of people that have touched you. In fact, probably on the whole trip, there's a bunch of people that had touched Jesus. But Jesus knew. He said, no, this is different. 
something powerful just took place. And he says, who touched my garments? They're kind of mocking him. And he looked around to see who had done it. Verse 33 says this. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. The courage to do this. You see, for everybody else, they didn't think they wanted the situation to develop like it was. See, it was really neat prior to Jesus stopping this entourage traveling. It was really neat up until that point. It would have been an incredible story. They could put that in the Bible and say, Jesus healed this lady. He is in a way to do one miracle. All she did was touch his garment. And there was another miracle that took place. And it would have been a real neat, tidy story. But Jesus turns around. And listen, at that moment, it's the last thing the lady wanted. She didn't want recognition. She didn't want people to know that she was there. But when Jesus stops, he says, I know something took place. Something powerful just took place. Now, Jesus knew full well what had happened. But he's bringing it to the attention of everybody else who was there. Because the woman didn't want the attention. The people around didn't want to know the entire story because ceremonially, because Jesus was touched and all touching Jesus, they all would have been ceremonially unclean. But Jesus knew this was a powerful moment to share this huge teaching principle. It's not just about, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, it's not just about building a relationship and bringing someone to Jesus. Now that meets their want right away. There are people right now who say, man, if I just experienced the power of Jesus in my life one time and I got saved, that's all I need. But discipleship is about building and bringing and then building again. See, Jesus builds a relationship. All she wanted in her, in her life was to be healed. And so once she's healed, she would have been happy just to go away and say, I'm healed. I met Jesus. That's all that I need. But Jesus knew there's something more powerful than that that she was about to experience. For everyone who grows in the grace and knowledge of who Jesus is, it begins with salvation. Today through baptism, we celebrate three people who gave their lives to Jesus, and we celebrate that with them. But part of the process is also the growth that takes place of people getting plugged in, getting excited, growing in their faith, and also starting to share their faith with people around them. So Jesus stops the entourage. He knows that something has taken place. And he says, something happened, and the woman comes, and she's embarrassed, and, she's, and yet she has courage. And she comes, and she explains the whole story. And the very end, verse 34, Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, she was already healed of her physical disease. But Jesus comes and says, it's not just about the one time I'm going to build into you and I'm going to bring you to a saving knowledge of who who I am. But I'm going to continue to build because your faith is making you whole. We have as a core value here at Rich Point Church that we will do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus. And that for it to be a core value, it can't just be something we talk about from the stage. It has to be something that we live in our life. It's to say that for me, the most important thing in my life is my relationship with God. And that I want other people to experience the freedom that's found in recognizing who Jesus is. And if we believe that if Jesus has genuinely saved me, it's the greatest news the world's ever seen. And I want to go and I want to share that news with people around me. Now as I do that, it's not always going to be clean. 
In fact, we've seen sometimes it's downright messy. Sometimes when I get involved in people's lives, their mess gets on me, and I have to be okay with that. Sometimes when I get close to people, I realize that, man, what I used to see out of them when they were a far distance, it looked really, really cool. And once we become friends, I find out they have some of the same flaws as all of my other friends. Sometimes their flaws are even greater. So it's a whole lot easier to put them at arm's length and say, I don't want to be involved in their mess anymore. And so I'm going to go on with my life. Have you seen how messed up their life is? I get that. But Jesus came to build relationships. Jesus came to set a path for salvation for us, but also to build in us the desire to do the very same thing, to to build relationships, to bring people to Jesus, and then keep building on those relationships because it's not, we've not gotten to the finish line when we bring someone to church or invite them to Jesus. That's just really a starting point of saying, listen, this is what faith means to me now. Let's gather together. Let's start talking about Jesus. Let's have some of these discussions. Let's join a group. Let's start some sort of discipleship. Let's do something that we're making this faith that we have much, much more grounded. We do that. We start to see the flaws. Years ago, I was in college, and I had a friend of mine, one of the neatest guys that I've ever had a chance to meet. In fact, years and years ago, when even before Ridge Point Church was Ridge Point Church, he had a chance to, to speak here. And I came over from St. Pete to hear him. He was one of the best speakers I've ever seen. And the thing was, was he was a really, really neat individual. He still is a really, really neat individual. And when I say neat, there are, part of his, there are parts of his character that just he didn't like to physically get messy. And so we used to always go, and he was a little bit older than the rest of those college students. We used to go out to lunch together often. And he was so neat that if he ate fried chicken, he would cut the chicken off the bone. And he would eat the fried chicken with a fork. And I remember he had another friend that was about the same age as him, and he used to make fun of him all the time. He's like, dude, for fried chicken to be enjoyed, it isn't just this. It's at the end when it's all over, it's this. Making sure, and we have barbecue chicken, it's making sure, because sometimes the, the messiness that's left over is what makes the whole process so good. And so I know in life, when we start to pour into people, the messiness at, at that point, like, like there are points that I like to stay clean and, and like we're going to church, so I don't want to be all messy, I get that. But sometimes the messiness is a reminder of why what we did was so good. As we venture into this summer, my goal is that God gives us this longing to say that, that the message of Jesus is, is of paramount importance in our life. And that means that we're going to enter into every situation Yesterday, we had a chance to be at the Habitat House, and just as a way to promote this over the next couple of weeks, uh, man, just a great opportunity for us to serve. We have a lot of need over the next couple of weeks, so if you have a Saturday morning available, we'd love to get you plugged into that. But I had a chance to talk to the, the, uh, the homeowner that we're building for, and she's excited. She's like, I really want to come check out your church. I want to see what it's all about. And, and that's why we're there is to let them know, man, I know right now life might not be what you thought it was going to be at some point in your past. But your past doesn't define you. We want to enter into the fray. We want to enter into the mess. And on the other side, to see that even though it was messy now, the future through what Jesus can bring into your life can reduce that mess. It's never going to be totally mess-free. But the part of the process of, of following Jesus is to be part of a discipleship process that brings us to a point where we can become messy-less enough to help out others who are just as much in need. And that has to be the message of paramount importance to us. 
Jesus, you've delivered us. You've set us free, and if you've set us free, then now our desire is to see other people be set free just as well. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for just the way that you enter into the the life that we live. God, it's crazy that Jesus would would see a need. He's he's on on the verge of taking care of someone who's really, really important. But he stops to to notice someone who everyone else had ostracized, everyone else had excommunicated from life. But he says to this woman who has this issue, this bloody discharge, he says to her that your life has value, your life has worth. And because of that, I'm going to stop what I'm doing to focus on who you are. God, my prayer this morning is if there's someone who thinks Jesus is so important that he could never worry about the intimate details of their life enough to care about them and to love them. God, I pray that they take encouragement from this word this morning to know that Jesus does care, that he does want to be involved in their life, and that by inviting Jesus into our life, he makes our lives better, and he makes us better at life. God, if there's someone today that doesn't know Jesus, I pray that today would be the day they encounter him for real in their life. And for those of us that have tasted and seen that Jesus is really, really good, I pray that his name would ever be on our lips. I pray that everywhere we go, that there's a desire to get involved in people's messes, to address the mess of their life, so they can encounter Jesus in a very real way themselves. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.